So we've been for the past, I don't know, two months, we've talked about the gospel as being something much bigger than we, what we've imagined. Um, we've talked about even not even having uh, appropriate words to speak about the mystery of God as, as it's revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've even said that, that our theology only serves to put some words into the mystery of God. It I was, you know, thinking about this when I remember the story I heard many, many years ago about this little kid who, who, was, who went to the beach and he, he, he dig a hole, he dug, he dug a hole on the, in the sand and uh, this man was watching him from afar. And every time a wave came, the kid would put some water into the hole. And then um, after a while, he, he made it wider and deeper. And the man kept watching, looking at him. And the kid, every time the wave came, he would put some water in it. So finally, out of curiosity, the, the man approached the kid and said, what are you, what are you doing? And, and the kid said, well, I'm trying to put the, the water of the sea in here. Like, I'm trying to move all the water from the sea to this little, to this little puddle here. Uh, and sometimes this is how I think we perceive the things of God. You know, they, are, they become something really simple for us, and they are, but then we make them very simplistic. Um, and, and I think what, what Paul is arguing to the Galatians, which is what we're going to um, see right now, uh, what he argues is that the gospel is something much greater than they have ever imagined. So, so go, go to Galatians chapter 6. And we are finally getting to the end of the letter. If you have been reading with us, you read this letter at least six or seven times in the past couple of, couple of months. If you haven't read them yet, read it yet, please do so this week. It is the last of the chapters. And uh, we're going to see in this chapter today the greatness of the gospel of Jesus. And the reductionist perspective that a lot of Christians have when they make the gospel about something different than what it is. And so go with me to that chapter there, Galatians chapter 6, and um, I'm going to use the new revised standard version. Yes. So remember in the past, in, in the previous chapters, Paul has been arguing about the, the gospel, right? Because the 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 main problem with the Galatians is that they don't, they have traded the gospel for the law again. So they've gone back to doing things in order to be, to be justified in the covenant with God. And Paul is saying, if, we, if it's not Jesus, it's, you know, you can't do it without him. So it's got to be, it's got to be him and him and him being enough for you. And they're arguing that they have to be circumcised and the Gentiles have to be circumcised. So he's creating all this huge argument that the gospel is more than being a Jew. That the gospel is more than following the law. That the gospel is more than being of a certain nation. That the gospel is more than keeping certain codes. That the gospel is more than having a, a, you know, a mark on your flesh. That the gospel is much more than they have ever imagined. So at this point, he's going to come to the end of the argument in chapter 6. And he's going to, he's going to close the argument about the gospel. And basically, he's going to be telling them that the gospel is not a religion. Though there are some religious practices for Christians. You know, when people say that the gospel is not a, that Christians don't have a religion, uh, they're mistaken. We do have a religion. We, we are religious people in the good sense of the word because we, we render worship to God. That is a religious thing. We are religious people, but we are from the true religion. We follow the true religion, the true worship to God. 
And so there is a little bit of that with, with Paul at the end. And he also going to say that, this is, that the gospel isn't, isn't only just a, a way of reforming your behavior, which a lot of people think that the gospel is for you to become a good person. And indeed, when you believe in the gospel, you become a good person or else. But, but, but it's not the whole of the gospel. You know, it's not everything about the gospel. And so he's going to speak a little bit about that. A little bit about that. And more importantly, he's going to help us um, to, to place us in the right context as we live the Christian life. Because there's a right context to the good works. There's a right context to, to behave and there is a right context to do religious things as Christians. And all of those have, have a place in a much bigger picture, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is what I aim to do today. So it is my desire to encourage you to see the gospel uh, as something much greater than you have ever, ever imagined. So let's read the Bible. It says, My friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear on one another's burden, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. This is important. Uh, pay attention to that again, the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test, all must test their own work. Then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. Those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teacher. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us now grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of God. Now, it is easy to imagine the Christian life as a set of conduct or a set of good behavior we need to have and some little bad things we need to avoid. You know, don't cuss, don't drink, don't dance, don't do this, don't do that. Avoid those things and then do these good things, as Carlos was uh, saying to us a few, a few weeks before, and then you'll be a good Christian. Have you heard that version of Christianity? You may have lived it for a long time. You know, just do good. Be a good boy. Be a good girl. Don't have sex before marriage. Don't, you know, don't drop out of school. Don't do this. Don't do that. It's common for us to, to, uh, to uh, frame the gospel in this, in this way. If you do good and if you don't do bad, then you're going to heaven when you die. Okay. I'm not saying that it's not true. I'm saying that it's not the whole truth. There is some truth to that because when you are a believer, of course you got to do these things. And of course you got to remain pure as we just read in the prayer. And of course that you got to have a moral correct life. But that is not the whole of it. So it's not just a package of virtues that you have to maintain or to keep. Because that's the other version of it. So it's avoiding the bad and doing the good, but also becoming some kind of person. Developing some, developing some virtues. You gotta be a good person. You gotta be kind. You gotta be, you gotta be loving. You gotta, you gotta do this or do that. And you have to become a certain kind of person. And you need to avoid becoming another kind of person. That is true as well, right? I mean, nobody could argue that if you are a Christian, you should just be rude to other people. You need to be kind, right? 
That's, that's, that's just common sense, you know. You can't, you can't just not do those things. What I'm saying is that we package the gospel in these little areas. Do good and be a good person. Don't do bad things and don't be a bad person. And that's the whole of the gospel for a lot of people. And these things are, are true in, 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 in the Christian life, but they actually point to some, something greater. In, in our Christian life. These things are like the, um, how do you call rompecabezas in English? I forgot the word. Puzzle, yes. Um, you know, during the pandemic at my home, they had one of those puzzles, and, they, and they, they try to put the pieces together. Which piece do you think is the most important one in a puzzle? The center? The corners? All of them? The missing ones? Are there, are there pieces that are more important than others? They're all important, right? They're all very important. But they're not it. Because if you have one or two or three or 20 of all of them, and they're all scattered somewhere, and you don't put them together, you, by looking at each individual piece of the puzzle, you don't get the whole picture. You can't. So when you frame, when you frame the gospel in good works or in good behavior or in good deeds or however you want to call it, you have the pieces of it, but you don't have the full picture. See, those pieces actually serve to point to something greater than, than that. Now, the problem with a lot of us is that because we have thought that the gospel is the pieces, the good behavior, the, 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 the moral life, which those things, again, let me say it again, those things are part of the gospel. Sometimes are a result of the gospel in our lives, but they are not it, right? But sometimes we have this problem when we elevate, like the Galatians were doing, they were elevating the pieces, and they, the pieces were becoming the thing. You know, they were saying, there's Jesus, but there is also the law. There's Jesus, but there is circumcision. There's Jesus, but there's the Sabbath. There's Jesus, but, 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 but there is something else. So the pieces became equally important as the main figure. And it happens to all of us, don't you think? We elevate things and, and make them more important. Usually when those things are the things that we consider um, something we do correctly. Like if we're good, good boys and good girls, you know, we're going to elevate our behavior and say, hey, I'm a good Christian because I do these things and I don't do, I don't, I don't do those things. We elevate that. But no, no piece of the puzzle is more important than the other. And especially not one piece of the puzzle will give us the whole picture. It's like, like, like not even one single player in the best team that you could ever know is the whole team. Right? We have a tendency to elevate uh, players, for instance, in any team. That one is really good. That one is really good. That one is really good. But you know what they are without the rest of the team? Nothing. They're nothing, right? If, if the best player in the world faces himself at another team, even if that team is not the best in the world, he's going to lose. Because what is important is not the player. What is important is, what is more important is the team. And what's most important in the team is the tournament. 
And what's most important in the tournament is the, the world championship. And what is more important than the world championship is sportsmanship, right? So, so if you put it in the right context, you go like, okay, yeah, that's important, but that's not the whole of it. Like there's something greater than being the best player in the world, and there's something greater than being just the best thing in the world, and there's something greater than... So you get it. The, the, the individual pieces don't give us the right picture or the whole picture. Now, I'm not saying, again, and I want to stress this as much as I'm able to. I'm not saying, again, that norms are not good, that good conduct is not good, that commandments are not good, that a good testimony is not important. I'm not saying that. We've said it over and over again, and we, in every opportunity, we've said that, you know, Christian ethic and the forgiveness of sins and, 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 and forgiving the people that offend us and the life of justice and all these things are, are probably one of the greatest deficits in the church, not in the church as a whole, which I'm sure it happens to, but in our church. In our, own, in our own community. So I'm not saying those things are not important. I'm just saying those things are the pieces of something much greater. Now, if we, if we go back to the verses we just read, you know, when Paul talks about restoration, you know, bringing somebody that is away or has offended the community, bring them back to the community in gentleness and kindness. Well, that's good for the, for the, for the community, right, for the church. When he talks about when he talks about you know carrying each other's burdens, oh that's great for the community, and we all must do those things, checking our own motives to see if we're actually doing it for the right reasons and not just to boast, you know, in ourselves. That's great too. When you read it like that, it seems like Paul is just giving you a set of commandments or directives to follow. Good good behavior. Um, how do you call um, accountability, sharing for other people's need. But if he were just giving us a list of good behavior, he will be contradicting his arguments before that good behavior is not it. So what is he talking about? This is where I want you to go to verse 15, which is the key for understanding not only this passage right here, but the whole of Galatians. I want to be, do, you want, do you want me to blow your mind today? All right. The verse 15, it's not only the key to understanding chapter 6, but it is the key to understanding the whole letter of Galatians, and it is also the key to understanding the whole of the New Testament, and it is also the key to understanding both the Old and the New Testament. All right. This is a big thing. I'm saying, like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to go like Carlitos, like I'm, I'm telling you something really new now. Like, you want to know how to interpret the Bible. Do you want to know what the Bible is all about? Okay, read verse 15 with me. Here it is. It says, uh, if I can find it. <laughs> Where is it? Oh, verse 15. For neither circumcision nor incircumcision is anything. Here it comes. But a new creation is everything. What is a new creation? What is he talking about? 
Because Paul talks about new creation not only in Galatians, he talks about it in Romans, in Thessalonians, in, in Ephesians, in, 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 every, in every one of his letters he talks about new creation. And he also talks about, he, he also the, the, the gospels talk about the new creation with different names, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, things like that. They talk about this new thing. What is new creation? By the way, next week we're going to jump into uh, Thessalonians and we're going to start talking about more and more about what this new creation is all about. Basically, let me give you just a very quick, um, uh, um, uh, how do you call that, summary or, uh, yes, that. Um, the, 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 the theology of the people of God, the Israelites, the Jewish, you know, they, they believed that they were living in the present evil age. Have you, have you read in the New Testament that phrase, the present evil age? The present evil age is the age of the exile. It's when Israel is bounded, enslaved by his own sins. They are being either in Egypt as, as, as slaves or in Babylon as ca ca captive. And it's also a reminder of Adam's exile. You know what happened to Adam and Eve when they sinned against God in the garden? They died. No, they didn't die. They were exiled. They were sent out away from the presence of God, right? So the present evil age is the age of exile. They're away from it. They can't experience the blessings of God, the presence of God, the love of God. And so if you look at the scriptures from, you know, from all the way from Genesis to, to the New Testament, you're going to find this motive, this theme that runs over and over again. People are in exile because of the sins. God will rescue them. They're going to go back to exile because of the sins. God is going to rescue them. People go back in exile because of the sins. God is going to rescue them. The greatest of these stories is the story, the story found in, uh, in the Exodus. When God delivers Israel from, from the Egyptians, right? And he actually, he actually saves them. He takes them out of Egypt, out of exile, and into the wilderness and then the promised land so they can become the people of God. That is the story the Bible tells. The present evil age is the age of the exile. Israel is um, exiled in Babylon. They never return from it, Right? So when they're, when they're uh, exiled in Babylon, you guys probably remember this from the Old Testament. When they were, went into exile in Babylon, they began to read Jeremiah and Daniel. And Jeremiah and Daniel tell us that one day, oh listen to this, one day the, 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 uh, the old evil age is going to pass. And, and Yahweh himself is going to come and he's going to establish the new age. He's going to establish the new kingdom. He's going to make things right. He's going to start a new creation. He's going to make all things new. I say, and all the prophets, they said, you know, even the lamb and the lion will, will, will eat together. It's going to be a time of, of justice and reconciliation and prosperity. And Israel is going to be at the center of the nations. And they're going to be back again in business. That is the new age. So when Paul talks about this, what he's saying is, this already happened. The new age has come. But it didn't come as they were expecting it to come. Because most, most Jewish people were expecting um, either um, the Messiah or God himself in the Messiah, um, bringing the people of Israel back from, from exile and then setting them up as the greatest nation in the, in the world. 
Remember when the disciples are asking about the kingdom and they say, will you do this with the kingdom? Da, 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 da. May I sit with you in the kingdom? This and this, that. What's going to happen when you come in the kingdom? They're referring to, to this idea. And, and so when Christ died on the cross, they said, oh, this wasn't the Messiah. Because Messiah don't die or doesn't die, to be more proper. Messiah cannot die, right? But Messiah died. And so they're all confused, and they're saying, Luke 24, we thought he was the hope of Israel, but, but he died. But on the third day, he rose again. All right, and this is key for the understanding of what happened, because, because Messiah did not only die, but he rose again. And when he rose again, something happened that was supposed to happen to the whole wide world, at least in their minds. When the new age was coming, the dead will rise. But the dead didn't rise. But the firstborn of the dead did rise. So the Messiah rise. And that's why he is the Messiah, because he conquered dead, right? He proclaims himself the Messiah. He rise up from the dead. And with this, he begins the new creation. The new creation has already begun in Christ Jesus. This is, what, this is what Paul is talking about here. When he's saying that those that have already escaped the present evil age and have been welcomed into the new era of God. So, when you, looked, when you look at verses 1 through 6 and 7 to 10... And, and when, you, when you read them, you, you may think that this is just some random, random verses, some, some random uh, uh, you know, commandments about being a good person, if you only see them like that. But they're not. They are indeed the necessary components for a sincere community of faith. They are, in a sense, the mutual responsibility of those who live in the new creation. They're not just simple, simple commandments about how to behave, but they are a practical way to fulfill the law of God. And you may be thinking right at this moment, but isn't it the same? If I just behave, I'm doing, I'm doing the same thing, right? Well, how, what example can we use to say that the way you understand things actually affects your participation. If you think, for example, that the whole of the gospel is for you to be good, die, and go to heaven, it's going to affect how you, how you do Christian life. It's going to affect how, what kind of Christian you are. It's going to affect how you view the world, other people, what you do with creation, how do you prepare to exit this life and welcome the other one, and all those things, right? So it's important that you have a bigger picture of what the gospel is. Because if the gospel is just that I am going to become a good person, I'm not trying to diminish that, but I am trying to diminish that. <laughs> that, you're, that the, the, the whole point is for you to become a good person and go to heaven when you die. What is your responsibility with creation and the world? What is your responsibility to join God on mission? What is God doing today if we're just expecting him to come back one day and take us up to the sky? 
Let us just might as well not do much about our lives. People don't want to come to church. That's fine because we're already saved, right? What matters is that we do good things or not because at the end, only God knows who's going to be saved and who's going to heaven and who's not going to heaven. Let us not participate and, 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 and trouble ourselves with, with, with calling people to repentance because either way, not much is going to happen. We're going to disappear from here. Hmm. Interesting idea about what it is. But, but, if you are now living in the new creation, as Paul is arguing here, and if you already participate in this new creation, not only by the way you behave or how, or what virtues are in your life, but by your whole being in participation with God, then things are a little bit different. Because now the picture is much, much, much bigger than you ever thought. It doesn't involve just your personal sins, which it does involve your personal sins, but it involves the redemption of the whole creator of order. You know, Paul says that, that God was in Christ reconciling all things to himself, the things on heaven and the things on earth. So yes, it is about your personal sins. God loves you and he forgives your sins. That's a great this is a great news. But a much better news is what God is intending to do with the whole created order. He's going to reconcile all things in Christ. The things that are in heaven and the things that are on earth. Now this opens up the way for us to think, to think about the gospel much more in a much greater way than we could ever imagine. Because now the, the, the whole picture is not only that I behave or my, my good ethics or even my own salvation. Now the whole picture is that God is still on the business of redeeming all of creation to himself. And he's calling us and empowering us in his Holy Spirit to participate and become another piece of the puzzle that is creating everything. New. Somebody put it one day, what God the Father did with Jesus on Easter Sunday will do for us and for all of creation one day. And what does that mean for us? It means that my attitudes and my virtues or the attitudes and the virtues of the Christian life are just part of this greater picture. By themselves, they represent very little. In fact, if you exalt the virtues by themselves, you become a distorted version of the gospel. Have you seen people that are um, they boast in their own righteousness and they think they, they're all that and they think that nobody can tell them anything because they do everything right? That's because they have exalted the virtues of the Christian life. But, but these things represent very little when they're by themselves in our lives, but represent powerful signals of the new creation. If God has saved us through Jesus Christ, if he has brought us out of the Red Sea and into the new promised land, and now we are the people of God, then things are different for us, don't you think? Therefore, the best, the best picture of the gospel is the Passover. Passover. Is the Exodus story. 
See, because in the Passover, how are we doing with time? We're good. In the Passover, um, what God did for the people of Israel, He did for the whole of humanity. Israel was in Israel, Israel was in Egypt as a slave. What happened when Moses came? Do you remember what he what he did? Moses judged God judged through Moses the false idols of Egypt. Each and every one of the plagues is 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 is, is, a, is a, it's the the judgment of the false idols, the false gods. And he judged them, right? And then and then what, what happens, Pharaoh becomes even more stubborn about letting Israel become the people of God. And what begins to happen with Moses and, and Pharaoh is what happens with Jesus and Rome and the Jews. Pharaoh becomes, becomes so stubborn that he begins, to, he begins to gather all of the evil of the empire to punish the people of Israel. He'd, he'd think he's doing it, but God is actually doing it himself through him. God is bringing all the evil of the empire on Pharaoh, right? So when Israel exited and Pharaoh realized that what happened and they followed him, in a sense, the, 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 the whole evil of humanity concentrated in the armies of Egypt are coming behind the people. God has done this. God has brought all the, the evil together to one place. And when they think that they're going to get finally their revenge, the whole sea comes upon them in judgment. This is the cross. This is the resurrection. This is the same story repeated over and over and over again. Jesus brought on himself all the power of the evil in the world. And he punished evil in his flesh. And of course, evil killed Jesus because that is what was supposed to happen. But that couldn't stop the Son of God. And so once again, he becomes our Passover. And this is what's the important thing I'm about to, to, to finish now. It's just, what's important, Paul says, is not the circumcision or incircumcision. What's important is that, that you have a mark on your flesh or you don't have a mark on your flesh. What's important is that God has unleashed his new creation in the world. Glory to God. What, 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 what matters is that God has, I love this word, he has unleashed his new creation in the world and through the gospel of Jesus, he invites us to participate in his blessings, his promises, his new life. This is what, um, what N.T. Wright says about this. He says, the cross marks the great division, not only with the church and the world, but also among those whom are preparing the church to face persecution because of the Messiah and those who are not. And then he says, we must emphasize the vitality of Paul's message. The death and resurrection of Messiah constituted the great point of inflection in history, in all history, even in creation. So if this is true, friends, if it is true that we live now in a new creation, how does this affect the way you live your life? What kind of decisions now you must make regarding 
your life as the bearers of the image of God in the world. See, this, this eliminates immediately the problem that most people have about, is this a good thing or this is a bad thing? Should I do this or shouldn't do that? Because most people find themselves in Christian life thinking in those terms, right? But now the question is, am I bearing the image of God into the world or am I not? Or perhaps is how am I bearing the image of God in the world? Once your vocation as an image bearer has been restored, then you're able to go in the world and reflect the image of Christ to the world. And that is a whole different thing. Which, of course, behavior is part of it, but it's much more than it. Paul says that he's, the Messiah has been crucified, that he's been crucified with Christ, that the world has been crucified, because the cross is this point that changes, this event that changes all of history. This new creation began with Jesus himself in the resurrection and will continue in your life, in my life, through the power of the Holy Spirit until he comes and restores all things. Romans 8, he says, until we are delivered from the slavery, the creation is delivered from slavery and shines with the freedom of the sons of God. The beautiful message of the gospel. Can we live like that by ourselves? No. It is the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Are we already there and we already got it and we're going to do it right all the time? No. We're going to continue to grow in our understanding of who God is, what the gospel is, and how we participate with him in the gospel. Are we going to mess up? Yes. And we're going to come back and repent and ask our Lord to guide us again. Would you take a moment to pray with me? Some of the things I've said today may be a little bit confusing to some of you. Don't let that deter you from pursuing and living out the good news of the gospel. Father, as we come to the end of this time, and as we have just worshipped you through your word, we're asking once again for your Holy Spirit to uh, reveal in us those things that we don't understand quite well. The one thing we know, Father, is that we, we understand now that we live in your new creation, that you begun all things new with Christ Jesus, and that somehow we're still living in this in, in, this in between, this knee, these two layers of the old creation and the new creation, and it is our responsibility and our privilege to be the bearers of your image in the world. Grant us the wisdom to do that. Grant us the courage to do it. Grant us the power to do it, O Lord. Would you stand with me and pray together our blessing as we dismiss from this place today? It's on your screen. It says like this, O God, our King, by the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, on the first day of the week, you conquered sin, put death to flight, and gave us the hope of everlasting life. Redeem all our days by this victory. Forgive us our sins. Banish our fears. Make us bold to praise you and to do your will. And still us to wait for the consummation of your kingdom on the last great day. Through Jesus Christ, O Lord. Amen. May the grace of Jesus, the love of the Father, and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit be with you all 
We are dismissed. I think we still have some coffee left or something. I don't know. Uh, but, yeah. See you guys next Sunday. God bless you all.